Welcome to Financial Plan and Explain. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner, and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. I am uh, pleased to have two of my advisors uh, with me today. To my furthest right is Ryan Keefe, and my, my immediate right is Kyle Ryan, not to be confused with all the Ryans. Um, it's a mess at our place. Um, here we got a bunch of Nicks, and they happen to share an office. It's a mess. Anyway. Um, Thank you for joining us again. Uh, we are on the third part of episode that is discussing different considerations associated with retirement planning. Um, in prior episodes, we talked about uh, cost of living, understanding your cost of living, um, sequence of returns in retirement, which goes into investing. But what we want to talk about now is strategies for taking withdrawals during retirement. And let me tell you something, it, it is so under thought of. I don't know, can't, uh, you know. It's an art and a science. It is an art and a science, and do not underestimate the importance of it. Yep. You know, sequencing of returns is a perfect example of it's an art and a science in that how you want to be withdrawing assets during retirement. So, another art and science we talked about earlier is accumulation of assets with clients who are in a high tax state moving to a low tax state, okay, as it pertains to taxing their retirement, or moving from a low tax state to a high tax state. You take that into consideration for your cost of living, which was really important, but you take that into consideration for maximizing tax efficiency. So we're really big. You know, our, our firm is really, really big on developing tax-efficient strategies for our clients. And again, it comes down to taking withdrawals in retirement is so important to maximize efficiency with it. So understanding the different tax brackets, okay? Understanding the impact of your income, by the way, Social Security taxable? <laughs> it depends. Depends on what? Your income. Your other income, that's correct. So, my goodness, you cannot underestimate the impact of your income on Social Security causing, your, your income's causing Social Security to become taxable. I've got episodes on this, and, and I, I do not stop talking about this. I have these discussions with accountants who are actually amazed by it. They know, oh yeah, it's, it's taxable. But I'm going to harp on this because I love to harp on this a lot. Is it is remarkable how many of our clients who are making three hundred, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in income married, and I look them in the eye and I say, "Do you realize that you are in a lower income tax bracket today than you will be when you're retired?" And of course, they're looking at me cross-eyed, thinking I'm a knucklehead, which most people do anyway. <laughs> but aside from that. If you take a look and know and understand how the tax bracket system works, you'll see that they're making $300,000, $350,000, that the tax bracket system they're in today, their federal tax is 24%. So then we project out in retirement, and as they're taking that same money that they're contributing to their 401k, 
eventually they're taking out, yeah, they may be in a lower tax bracket, but what's happening is for every $1,000 that they take out of their IRA, they're causing an extra $850,000 to be taxable. What happens here is a $1,000 distribution becomes $1,850 in taxable income. So yeah, they may be in a 15% tax bracket, but you take $1,850 times 15%, and you're paying $277.50 tax on that $1,000. Hey friends, that's 27 and three quarters percent tax on that $1,000. I can easily demonstrate that they may also be in a 25% tax bracket. 1850 times 25% is $462.50. So they're paying 46 and a quarter percent tax on that $1,000. And I can also easily demonstrate how someone could be in a 28% tax bracket and they would pay $516 tax on that $1,000. That's 51.6% tax. So, why in God's name would you take a 24% tax deduction to turn around and pay 51.6% tax? And another thing that's not, I don't even know if it's in those calculations, but going back to Irma and Medicare, you know, there is an increase in your tax from having income from Social Security, but there's also an increase in cost to your Medicare, as we mentioned in an earlier episode. And if there's an increased cost between you and the government, call what you want, we call it a tax, right? So it's, it's really important to be able to factor all those in. At an absolute minimum, if you're breaking into Irma, at an absolute minimum, it's a 4% tax on your assets, on your IRA distributions, mm -hmm. okay? So you're just raising, you know, if you're in any of those tax brackets that I was referencing, just by being in Irma and having to pay extra Medicare premiums, you just raised your tax on the back end by 4%. And so I've been preaching since, I've been teaching taxes and tax planning, et cetera, since 2003, which is amazing. Um, and back then was when the Bush tax laws came out and I, I've been preaching since 2003 that we're in the lowest income tax bracket system that we have ever been in, or at least during, during my lifetime, and basically have said there's only one direction that they can go. Yep. And of course, President Trump made a liar out of me in 2018, dropped them. These tax brackets are unsustainable. And so we can only reasonably predict that tax brackets are going to go up, not to mention that it was written into law with the 2018 tax brackets that they revert back to the old taxes in at the end of 2025, December 31st, 2025, which means in 2026, we're back to the older, higher income tax brackets. So proper tax planning is such an important component mm -hmm. of that. But now we're talking about maximizing tax strategies and when you're withdrawing assets. Right, yeah. Which, by the way, then takes a look at, usually people are going to have three sources or three buckets of money to draw from. Mm -hmm. They're non-qualified assets, they're pre-tax or tax-deferred assets, mm -hmm. which are their 401ks and IRAs, which means when they take it out, they have to pay taxes on it, mm -hmm. and the Roth IRAs, which are always a beautiful thing. By the way, people hate paying taxes up front. Oh, they love Roth IRAs when they're in retirement. That's just, <laughs> anyway. So another way of maximizing tax efficiency in retirement is understanding cost of living and then pulling from each of the three different buckets in ways with which you can maximize tax efficiency. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you need $40,000 to draw from, 
the first 20,000 is at 0%, and then the next amount is at, say, 30%, and it's not exactly the truth. But, you know, let's say 0 and 28, what you might want to consider doing is take your first 20 out of the tax-deferred assets and pay my favorite tax rate at 0%. Yeah. And then above that, where you would otherwise be taxed at 28%, that's when you draw from one of your other asset accounts. Yep. Okay. And you may draw off a different asset when you've you know maxed out the tax on your Social Security, but then you also have to remember uh, Irma's lurking out there. Right. So you That's may correct. also look at Roth assets at that time. And, and to your point in the prior episode, there are cliffs in certain states that you exceed a certain threshold of taxable income, poof, you start getting whacked with state taxes. So we strongly recommend that you, um, whenever you're dealing with distributions during retirement, that you uh, discuss with your tax consultant, your tax advisor, your financial advisor, hopefully they're tax uh, savvy, but again, it's, it's understanding all of the tax impacts in retirement for distributions, and then also recognizing which accounts do you grab them from, which, as I pointed out, that everything has impacts on everything else, and so, We've actually had situations where, you know, again, they have three different buckets to choose from. The IRA, the Roth IRA, and the non-qualified assets. But then you have to also factor in all the what-if scenarios. What if one person dies? Okay? If one person dies, suddenly that second person, the surviving spouse, is effectively thrust into a new tax bracket. Yep. Why? Because of the fact that they're single. They reach all of the same tax brackets at half the, half the income. All they lose is the lower Social Security. That is correct. Yeah. Or potentially a part pension. of a pension, a pension if there is annuity. a survivor. And we've seen it before where you have husband and wife and one particular spouse has zero survivor on the other. So if that person survives, then they have all of the same income before except the lower of the Social Securities and all of a sudden now they're thrust into a higher income tax bracket. Mm -hmm. You know, then you're also taking a look at having to draw from non-qualified accounts, you may be forced to take in capital gains. Yep. Yeah, another thing that we should point out is a lot of people are unaware that once you turn right now the age of 73, you're gonna have to take money out of your pre-tax retirement assets. Correct. And it's, it's usually not a small number. It starts at about 4%, 4%, round numbers. But you know, you been saving all these years and you might have say a million dollar IRA that's forty thousand dollars so you're taking out in that that tax year and that's going to cause your social security to become taxable yep. and a million dollar IRA sounds like a lot and you know even maybe ten years ago it sounded like a lot um, but you know with the growth of the assets that we've had for so many years um, for one for two the people who are retiring today have been contributing to their 401ks for 20 or 30 years People who were retiring 20 years ago, they didn't have 401ks. Mm. You know, or maybe they had 401ks at the tail end of their career. Right. The other thing is people who retired 20 years ago retired with pensions. Pensions have gone by their wayside for the most part. What you find is people retiring today where their pensions, they have the ability to take a lump sum withdrawal instead of the, the, uh, the, the, the pension. Okay, yeah. and we're going to talk about the different methods of pensions and distributions and everything else like that. And and one other thing before we do move on is, you know, some people, if you don't if you don't use all of your assets, your children will or your beneficiaries will inherit it. 
a very important thing to note is there's a huge difference between inheriting a traditional IRA, a pre-tax IRA, a Roth IRA, and a brokerage account, a non-qualified account. Huge differences. If your kids are doing well and they're, you know, you die in your 80s and their highest earning years, here you go. Here's an inherited IRA that you have to take out in 10 years of your right. highest earning years, right? Exactly. So, so maybe you use the IRA and you hold the Roth off as long as you can, or if you have big gains in your brokerage account, you don't use that. There's so many different strategies. Oh, my strategies goodness, yes. And, and, and thanks for bringing that up because, um, you know, I always refer to the IRA accounts as a black cloud. Uh, IRA. IRA, three letters. Yeah, right, bad. <laughs> Imagine that. Pre-tax, IRA, bad. Um, you know, I, I always refer to them as a black cloud. Um, it's a black cloud, not that they're bad, but it's that you know they're going to rain, okay? And they're going to rain in the form of taxable income. They're going to rain on you as being a married couple. They're going to rain on your spouse as a surviving spouse, or they're going to rain on your children. And to your point, if it's a large IRA and you're dumping it on your children, you look at the natural life expectancy of people, basically what's happening is you're dropping all that money onto the kids, which, you know, the, secure two, uh, the first SECURE Act and December 31st of 2019 basically made it so that if I inherit an, 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 an IRA, I have to take it out within 10 years. And to your point, if I'm in my highest earning years and now I have to take all this money, basically, all this money is being taxed at a higher rate. And so if the original IRA owner knows they're in a lower income tax bracket and they have plenty of money, and that happens a lot, then you may as well maximize so that the federal government isn't one of the primary beneficiaries of your estate. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you know we'll talk to clients about their goals. And if they have you know charitable inclinations, stick them with the oh, absolutely money. absolutely and give your kids the Roth money if you have absolutely or the, or the absolutely money. another good point so we're at our break time so stay tuned we'll be back with you in just a few moments do you keep up regularly with your investments where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going are you financially prepared for an emergency I'm Mike manager founder of manager and associates financial planning we believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So call us today to decide. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, and I am here with Kyle and Ryan and where we talked about the entire first segment was understanding the taxation impact on distribution and distribution strategies. Um, what we'd like to talk about now is the obvious impact of taxes on your withdrawals. So government wants their money. Why do you think they do withholdings from your paychecks? The government wants their money rather than you doing all of your give it the money on April 15th. So the same applies to retirement distributions. You do your retirement distributions, and let's say, for instance, at the end of the year, your total tax is $20,000. Government wants their $20,000, and they don't want it all at the end. So what do you do now? How do you, how do you give them the $20,000? Well, there's a multitude of ways of doing it. First and foremost, if you underwithhold, what is underwithholding? Underwithholding is defined as not giving the government at least 90% of your tax. So in the case of $20,000, 90% is 18 grand. You darn well better get 18 grand in before the end of the year or else the government's gonna slap you with a penalty. 
Now, it's one thing paying a tax, but penalties tick me off. The penalty is 5% plus interest. Dude, that's like 6 7%. Okay, well, why would, why, would, why would you pay a penalty on a dollar that you're going to have to pay anyway? So another one is the safe harbor. And safe harbor is 90%, but it's also 110% of last year's tax. So if you had only $2,000 in tax, you only need to get $2,200 in, and then you can still pay the rest of it on April 15th. But how do you do it? Well, so let's say, for instance, you can do quarterly estimated taxes. So in the case of $20,000, you could do estimated taxes, say $5,000 a quarter. Okay, Q1 is April 15th, Q2 is June 15th, Q3 is September 15th, Q4 is January 15th. You're basically providing the government with money on periodic occasions. But if you're taking money out of an IRA, you could very simply just withhold it. Yep. You know, much like a, you know, much like your paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so, the reality of what I've observed over history, with either clients who are coming to us the first time, or people, you know, obviously non-clients, they don't plan it out. You know, and and. So they're either over withholding and getting giant refunds at the end of the year, which isn't always a bad thing, okay? Because some people rely on the refunds for a particular financial goal. Is it the best way of saving? No, but it's better than spending it and not having it. Um, but other people fall short and find themselves having to pay a penalty. And like I said, that's stupid money. Yeah, so, so if you have a distribution, um, I'm going to refer to specifically a Roth conversion. Um, so if you convert money from an IRA to a Roth, or you simply take the money out of an IRA, you will have to pay those taxes. Now, let's say I do that January 3rd. They want, the government wants their money throughout the year. But what I have the ability to do is I can withhold that money from an IRA at any point throughout the year, and it'll, it'll basically be spread out throughout the year. So if I do it in December, and no matter what point I do it, it's like one twelfth each of, each of the months that I do it or one-fourth for each quarter. So I do something January 3rd, I have a $100,000 distribution, just say $20,000 taxes. I can wait until the very end of the year, the last day of the year if I wanted, withhold $20,000 and poof, spread out across the entire year. Right, and so what's the advantage of that? The advantage of that, so let's go back to the conversion. I just converted money to the Roth IRA. I have yet to pay the taxes on it. The IRA, the Roth IRA, they are ideally growing throughout the year, and then as they are growing, I wait until the end, pop it out of the IRA and withhold it, send it to the government for taxes. And yeah, it allows the money to grow for, throughout the entire year. So and in other words, what do you, the, to use the example that Kyle was using, is if we were taking $100,000 from the IRA and converting it, there's a $20,000 tax. If they don't have the money available to pay the $20,000, they can either pay from their non-qualified account $5,000 per quarter yep. to get the 20 grand in, but if they were to pay out of an IRA or a Roth, then what they could do is allow it to grow during the course of the year. So what you might consider doing is convert the entire 100000 from IRA to Roth, allow it to grow tax-free for the rest of the year, and then you take a withdrawal of twenty grand from the Roth IRA in December and send it to the government. This way, in theory, of course, you got to make the assumption that 20 grand grew for the rest of the year. So if you got a 10% growth in the Roth IRA, and guess what? We stuck that two grand in our pocket. Yep. 
the government, in my opinion, can wait. <laughs> but one you know, thing to be very wary of, if you do make that Roth conversion early in the year, you can't undo that Roth conversion. That is and correct. And as we were discussing with Irma and various federal tax brackets, you don't want to overestimate or underestimate, I should say, your income so that you do too much of a Roth IRA conversion, throw your taxes out of whack, and then you're left holding the bag. There's nothing you can do. And or say you're planning on making a not, you know, you, you do the conversion from your IRA and you're planning on making the tax payment from your non-qualified account, from cash in the bank, whatever, and that cash is needed elsewhere and all of a sudden you have to go to the IRA again or potentially the Roth, you're just, you're just, you need to forecast what your income will be in order to accurately do right. the right conversion. Which is why what we generally will do, a Roth IRA conversion makes the most sense to do it in the beginning of the year because of the fact that it's assumed that it's gonna grow. Hey, let it grow on the tax-free side of the ledger for the entire year. Um, so what we'll also do is, um, and I lost my train of thought because I looked away because I was looking at the time. Um, <laughs> you, wanna, you wanna convert the beginning of the year because you want the full year of tax-free growth, but to Kyle's point, you wanna project. So a lot of times what we'll do is in that $100,000 case, we say, well, wait a minute, there's a possibility that we may have some variability in income. Maybe we convert 60 grand or 70 grand or 80 grand at the beginning of the year and wait until the end of the year to finalize it because with the 2018 tax law changes, they eliminated the ability to, after the year was over, to undo it. So what I used to do all the years before is convert more. Okay, you convert more and then you always have the ability to undo it after the year is over and bring it to the exact amount that you wanted to. Well, they took that away and it forces more work on us, but be that as it may, you know, we always want to do what's best for the client and right. you want to maximize the conversions. But again, that's something that um, when it comes to taxes, just know we don't want to be given any money to the government unnecessarily and look for the ways with which you can give to the government strategically and no more than you have to. Why, they spend it so well. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> have it. Right. Make exactly. a donation. There you go. <laughs> it may as well be a donation to the government, but that's, you know, hopefully your camera's not up here. <laughs> so anyway, what we like to talk about is pensions, okay? Um, pensions, again, are a little bit on the few and far between anymore because uh, companies didn't want to do pension plans anymore. However, a lot of folks still work for governmental organizations. Governmental organizations in Pennsylvania, probably the biggest governmental organization, so to speak, are teachers. Okay, teachers have the uh, PSERS, which is Public School Employee Retirement System, and there's also the, I refer to them as a shovel operator, but you could work for the state, whether it be for PennDOT or somebody in Harrisburg or wherever. You have a, a pension plan. And so, Typically, pension plans, the way they work is they're called defined benefits. The benefit is defined. The benefit is typically defined as how many years were you working there times your final salary times a percentage. So for PCERS, it'll be 2% per year. And if you've worked there for 35 years, you'll take 2% times 35, which is 70. And if you finished at $100,000, then your pension 70 grand. It's a beautiful thing, simple calculations. However, sometimes that are non, like PCERS doesn't allow for this, but there are other pensions that will allow you to take instead of 
the $70,000 a year, they'll allow you to take a lump sum distribution. The lump sum distribution basically is, they're saying, look, we don't want to be in the pension business anymore. You take your money and go and you do what you want with it. And so the question is, is how do they calculate that number? Well, let's say what they'll do is, let's say I'm 62 years old, I'm retiring with a $70,000 a year pension. What they do is they say, hey, what's my life expectancy? And how much money do we need to have set aside based on the current interest rate? And that might be a million dollars. Like, okay, well, instead of giving you 70 grand a year, poof, here's a million dollars. You could take it, roll it into an IRA. Okay, plain and simple. I personally like the idea because of the fact that if you die with a pension, then the, the pension could be reduced or gone. So now let's talk about the pension options. Yeah, All pensions operate the same way. Let's use our $70,000 example. $70,000 would be what it would be if I decided to take my pension as what they refer to as a single life annuity, meaning that it's based on my life only. So if I take a pension at $70,000, whoop de doo okay, I'm getting $70,000 a year paid to me monthly. If I die three months later, poof, the money's gone. Well, that's not pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so Ryan just got done doing this with, um, with someone from Pennsylvania. Yeah. So talk about the other options, Ryan. Yeah, sure. So uh, as Mike pointed out, there's the single life annuity. Um, there's also a multitude of survivorship options. You get right. 50, 75, and 100% survivorship options, which you trade, for every benefit you get, you trade a little bit of your benefit. So if in Mike's case, you're getting $70,000 a year, you might take, if you want 100%, you want that pension guaranteed that if you die, it goes to your beneficiary at, at the exact same dollar amount, you're gonna forfeit, let's say if you're getting uh, well, might be six, go from 70 six to grand. 60, it yeah. might go from 70 to 60. And then 75%, you know, you, you get a little bit more of a monthly benefit, but your partner only gets three quarters of what you were getting. Right. And 50% is obviously less than that. There's also um, time period certains, five, 10, 15 year certains. Yes. Where you get a, you know, a certain benefit and that pension is guaranteed to pay out for that time frame. And then after that time frame is done, then if the last person that's holding that pension passes, the pension is effective. Right, and so, so what you need to do when it comes to selecting the appropriate option, what you really need to do is understand the financial planning, okay, of their needs, what other income they have, who's older, who has life expectancy issues. For instance, you know, if I'm taking my pension and I'm the one who has cancer, heart disease, and you name it, Okay, I'm going to reduce my pension from seventy thousand to sixty thousand, so that my spouse will get the full amount. Yep. Right. Okay, but on the flip side, if my spouse is the one who's ten years older than me, who has cancer, heart disease, and you name it, and her life expectancy is very low, then what I might consider doing is either take the single life, which may be risky, but also consider taking, as you pointed out, as the ten-year certain, mm -hmm. which means that. It's going to pay for 10 years regardless. So if I die one year later, my spouse continues to take it. And if she dies two years later, then we name beneficiaries. Somebody is getting 10 years of money. Yep, right. and, and that's important. So, and one, and one thing that, you know, 
we're, I mean, me and I think you, Mike, I'm sure you as well, Kyle, are big fans of is with most pensions, you have your the ability to roll over your contributions and interest For into an IRA. Right. Um, you know, we're big fans of that because, you know, what if, you know, if, if Peacers is paying you $2,000 a month, what if you need 3000 one month? What if you need 4000 What if, you know, you take Or you don't need the full 2000 Or what if you take the single life option, but you want to leave something to your beneficiaries? This gives you a lot more flexibility. It does. It does. Um, Kyle, you want to add anything? Because we're up against time, yeah? The last thing I would say is survivorship options are actuarially based. So the person that you choose as your joint survivor, depending on their age and gender, will will vary how much the payment will be. If I choose my child, the payment's going to be a lot less than my spouse because the age... They're right, they're going to continue that thing on for many, many year, exactly. years. Yep. So thanks for your uh, input. Appreciate that. Of course. Um, thank you for joining us. I hope I uh, got some understanding of some of the things that... Uh, from a financial planning, from a retirement planning, from a tax planning, from an estate planning, because they're all interrelated. Uh, you know, for for when it comes to retirement plan distributions, uh, it's very important to take all those into consideration. Uh, like I said, I hope you've learned something. Uh, here we go. Financial planning explained. You know, education is our product. We believe wholeheartedly in financial education for our clients. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for joining it, and we will see you next time. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you.